A long time ago, in 1984, in a galaxy far, far away, technically the Redwood Forest in Northern California, George Lucas decided to bring you the next chapter in the Star Wars universe. Would it be more Jedi action? Or maybe more amazing lightsaber duels showing the fine balance between the light side and the dark side? Could it even be more of the most handsome man in any galaxy, Mr. Harrison Ford? Nope. Old George decided to bring the world a made-for-TV film centered on the Ewoks. But how could George ever do anything to hurt the Star Wars franchise. <laughs> this will be fine, right? Stay tuned as we discuss Ewoks Caravan of Courage this week on This Was a Thing, episode 45. This was a thing. Whoa. This was a thing. The movie cruising with Al Pacino. Whoa! Cabbage Patch dolls and Teddy Ruxpin. McRib and Cher Spoonstrap. Oscar win. That was a thing. This was a thing. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we're looking at Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure. This was a thing because the original Star Wars trilogy was over and people wanted more. So what was more? Why, those cute, fuzzy little droid-worshipping Ewoks on Endor. Now... I will be honest with you, Mr. Hebel. I have only seen the first three Star Wars movies from the 70s and 80s. Original trilogy. Uh, sorry, the original, the OG. The OG. Will I be lost today or will you help me out? I mean, I've seen them multiple times and I was lost during this movie. So I'm going to try my best to get you through this. Oh my. Okay, so full disclosure, I am a huge Star Wars fan. I have been since I was a kid. I got my first Han Solo action figure at a thrifty pharmacy when I was seven and... It has been a major force in my life. Do you get that joke? Uh, yes. Okay. Your life <laughs> is something that Darth Vader loses. Exactly. I love Star Wars. I, I, I love a majority of the films. Some of them are not that good. I even love The Clone Wars and Rebels, the animated series. I think they're some of the best stories that in the whole Star Wars universe. I mean, amazing animation. I love it. So that's why I wanted to cover Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure. Now, I know that I'd seen it when I was a kid, and actually I think I may have seen this film before I actually saw the Star Wars films because it was taped from the TV and it was just one of those easy things to throw on as a toddler. But uh, once I found the actual original Star Wars trilogy, I never looked back to the Ewoks until now. And yes, a question that everyone is wanting to know, and I will answer it, is this canon? And I'll let you know at the very end of the episode. So let me just tell you about Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure. It was an ABC movie of the week, and it was released on November 25th, 1984. And the original Star Wars trilogy had ended the prior year, uh, 1983, with Return of the Jedi. And people in the world wanted more, and Ewoks were the way. 
The film is about a family that crash lands on the forest moon planet of Endor. Now, the parents get separated from their two children, Mace and Sindel Tawani. Yes, Mace and Sindel Tawani. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mace? Mace and Sindel Tawani. Tawani, Thank yes. You. And Mace is probably around 12 and Sindel is 6. So, imagine those are the two lead actors of the movie. So, first off, already going off to a good start. So, luckily, the children are helped by a group of small furry creatures called Ewoks. And there is a language barrier, though. So, most of the English that's spoken in the film is between the two kids. And the rest of the time, it's Ewoks speaking in Ewokese. Anyways, will the children find their parents or learn to act? Will the Ewoks help out the children or let them wander the forest of Endor alone? Did the Ewoks eat the stormtroopers after the Battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi? We'll find out. In a galaxy far, far away, a brother and sister search for their missing parents. How are we going to find them? We will. Don't worry. And fate leads them to the magical Ewoks. We you. Now, a great adventure begins. Sometimes when you search for the impossible, an unbelievable adventure unfolds. I wish we had furry creatures like you where I came from. Don't miss the Ewok Adventure. Now on video cassette from MGM UA Home Video. Okay, so obviously, quick Star Wars backstory. George Lucas creates Star Wars, later titled A Star Wars New Hope, released in 1977. It's a huge hit. Lucas gave his director salary and took back in to get the film made, made a ton of money with merchandising. A sequel, Empire Strikes Back, released in 1980. Some consider it the best film in the franchise, also an incredible success. The original trilogy wrapped up in 1983 with Return of the Jedi. In this film, George Lucas introduced the world to the Ewoks. Now, some fans can considered it a merchandising and cash grab, but they ended up being pretty popular, especially with the kids. Do you think it was a merchandising cash grab? Now, yes. As When I was a child, I didn't see it as that, but after stuff like Jar Jar Binks and Phantom Menace and then Porgs and Last Jedi, I mean, it, and it makes sense. Of course, they're doing cash grabs and stuff, but it, it makes, it, yes, they, they were definitely a cute furry little thing but i appreciate them for what they are because they were actors in costumes as opposed to like cgi cash grabs of course so george lucas created the ewoks because he wanted the return of the jedi to feature a tribe of primitive creatures that would bring down the technological empire like i said so he'd originally intended the scenes to be set on the wookiee home planet of kashyyyk so Wookiees are the species that Chewbacca is. I know you know that name. I know Chewbacca. Yep. <laughs> yep. See, Rob perked up because that's one of the names he knows. But as the film series evolved, the Wookiees became much more technologically skilled. Lucas reversed the syllables to create a new species. So instead of Wookiee... Ewok. There you go. And it rhymes with Miwok, a Native American tribe indigenous to the Redwood Forest in which the indoor scenes were filmed. So oh. it was an homage as well. And he also based Ewok's defeat of the Galactic Empire on the actions of the Viet Cong guerrillas who fought against American soldiers during the Vietnam War. Political. Yes, exactly. Okay, so since the Wookiees were tall, Lucas wanted the new species to be... 
short. Oh my God, very good. So using the image of a Brussels griffin, a dog breed which Lucas owned, in the films they appear as stocky, sapient bipeds and they... They stand about one meter tall, which is about three feet for anyone who needs a little conversion, Lissipi. They have flat faces, and they're completely covered in fur, and they have large jewel-like eyes. And both their fur and eyes come in a variety of earth tones, primarily brown, white, gray, gold, and black. So for Revenge of the Jedi, there was an ewok ease language that was created for the film by sound designer Ben Burt. And sound designer Ben Burt is also one responsible for all the noises from the blasters to the X-Wing blast and everything. And so this dude, like, not only did he go, oh, this will make a fun noise for a blaster, he's also creating a language for a Star Wars film, which I think is incredible. So Ben Burt helped develop the language, and then he also helped work it with uh, Anthony Daniels, who was the voice and person behind C-3PO. Beep, 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 beep. Well, that's R2-D2. C-3PO's C-3PO, human cyborg relations. But he can speak Ewokese because he can speak over a million different languages because that's just part of his programming. Well, but anyway, this bitch on Duolingo. <laughs> the word... Ewok is not mentioned anywhere in Return of the Jedi, nor are the individuals referred to by name, but in the credits, you get to see Wicket, Poplu, Tebow, Lagre, and Chirpa, and they're all shown, so you get to see the names of the Ewoks. Warwick Davis appears as Wicket W. Warwick, an Ewok who befriends Leia and leads her and her friends to the Ewok tribe. Now, Kenny Baker was originally cast as Wicket. Kenny Baker is known for being in the body of... C-3PO. No, no. R2-D2. Yes! Oh my god, very good. See, you know a lot about Star Wars. Why do you gotta talk to me like I'm stupid? You're not. I'm not. I'm just trying to involve you. I know a lot about Star Trek. Beam me up, Captain! We don't have the power. (laughs) So Warwick Davis didn't have any previous acting experience and was cast only after his grandmother had discovered an open call for little people in the new Star Wars film. And he was 12 when they were filming. He'd go on to have a big career. He was the lead in Willow. He was the lead in the Leprechaun film uh, series. And he also returned for Caravan of Courage, an Ewok adventure caravan of courage that's what it's called yep caravan of courage the dodge caravan of courage (laughs) yeah exactly it was a sponsor so george lucas was done with star wars at this point but he still had a little bit more in the bag of the star wars universe and he was planning on doing a half hour ewok television special and he'd previously brought star wars to the small screen with the now infamous Star Wars holiday special now i will just say as a as a lovely young queer man Watching B. Arthur sing oh, yeah. in the Star Wars cantina is kind of the best thing ever. So I don't think of it as a failure. I think of it as a great success few people are aware of. Now, not wanting to make that same mistake, George just decided to assume a greater control of a planned half-hour television special about the Ewoks. And the um, idea emerged from his desire to make a movie for his young daughter, Amanda. He hired Thomas G. Smith to produce the film, and after Smith had stepped down as a manager at ILM, which is Industrial Light and Magic, and then he hired Bob Corral to write the script with him. Guess what Bob Corral's title was before getting hired to write on this film? Uh, script supervisor. He was the nanny of George Lucas's children. <laughs> What a world. So, yeah, that's real. Um, he actually went on to write numerous cartoons from the 80s and 90s, including the Ewok cartoon series. But, of course, George Lucas, wanting to make a film for his daughter Amanda, turns to the best person to help write a script for that, the nanny. 
when he was shopping the film around, Thomas G. Smith discovered that none of the TV networks at the time were interested in airing a half-hour Ewok special, oddly enough, but ABC showed interest in a two-hour movie of the week, and the project was expanded to fill the request. So it went from a half-hour to times four that. Now, the producers initially conceived the project as a cross between Hansel and Gretel and Tarzan of the Apes. Now, John Cordy, who directed a Lucas produced twice upon a time, was selected as director and cinematographer. Cordy had won an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature for his 1977 film, Who Are the DeBolts and Where Did They Get 19 Kids? Here's a clip of John Cordy getting interviewed by a young Eric Walker, who played Mace Tawani, and I'll explain later why Eric Walker is doing an interview. You think this this new Ewok movie, the title Ewok holiday movie, will will stand? Well, I think we're making a very good movie. We have very good actors, and uh, I think there's nothing like it on television. See, this will be a two-hour movie of the week, and and most of those stories are not like this at all. They they almost never have costumes. They're usually about families that are. You know, contemporary life stories or marriage stories or something like that, crime stories. But they never have this kind of look to it. Okay, so John Cordy helped transform the scenic Northern California Redwood Forest into the forest moon of Endor. Now, Joe Johnston, who was an art director at ILM for years and one of the key concept artists for the original Star Wars trilogy, acted as production designer and second unit director. And prior to the movie's release, Johnston actually also wrote and illustrated a book about Ewoks called The Adventures of Tebow, A Tale of Magic and Suspense. Joe Johnson commented on the film's effects. The effects we did were pretty primitive. We did forced perspectives and glass paintings, back to basics, things that had been around since the 20s. George just told us to go out there and have some fun. So it, it definitely seems like this project almost was like George Lucas going, okay, look, we already have the costumes for the Ewoks. We have this great like environment around us. So it's like... Just go out there and make an ABC movie of the week and don't make it stupid. And I mean, I really think this is probably one of those projects that like seasoned people like learned a lot on because they got to like come up with new solutions on how to like fix problems and stuff, especially after working on huge budget movies like Star Wars and stuff mm. previously. This film and the sequel that was released the following year is actually some of the last that use uh, intensive stop motion animation work. They also use a process called latent image matte painting, which is a technique that during live action photography, a section of the camera lens is blocked off and then remains unexposed. The film is then rewound, then the blocked area is reversed. So the painting craft to occupy the space that was photographed. Yeah. And it just is a cool old school movie technique where it's like computer graphics have come so far, but it's still really cool to see when they didn't have computers, what they did to make it look so magical. The score of the film was composed by Peter Bernstein, but Parade of the Ewoks from John Williams' score to Return of the Jedi, which is now credited as Wicket's theme, appears briefly in the film. So we got a little bit of John Williams in this episode, I had to say it. Lucas later commented on the production, I hadn't done any TV and it was a chance to use many people in the company who hadn't had much experience with live action production and experiment a little. The economics of TV are vastly different than the economics of film. So Cordy and Smith held on auditions for most of the roles in Los Angeles and Marin County, and the only roles which weren't auditioned for were those of Warwick Davis and other Ewok actors because they'd proven themselves on A Return of the Jedi. Two of the other Ewok actors 
actors would go on to have pretty successful careers. There's Tony Cox, who starred in Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton in 2003. And then Debbie Lee Carrington appeared in numerous things, but most notably, she played Kramer's friend Mickey's love interest in the Seinfeld episode, The Stand-In, where they thought Mickey was wearing lifts. She's funny. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't know they were in the movie. They're both brilliant. Mm -hmm. So the character of Mace Tawani was played by 12-year-old Eric Walker, like I said. He'd done some commercial and television acting before, but this was his first big movie. And what's really cool is so Warwick Davis was around the same age, and so George Lucas gave them a video camera and said shoot behind the scenes and make a documentary and then he gave them he put editing equipment in one of their hotel rooms and so they were able to film and edit a behind the scenes documentary as like 12 13 year olds to help them stay busy on set a cool move by george lucas in my opinion in like 84 to be like there's no special features yeah exactly and so like and now eric walker is actually trying to get this uh little movie put onto like dvd releases of E-Locks currently, and stuff. currently yeah this got put on youtube in 2014 and it's been trying to get it put on like dvd releases and stuff four-year-old aubrey miller was cast as sindel tawani and this was her first production so she was four and not six now for the narrator now they went with a voice that most Americans were familiar with. Someone whose voice fit into the Star Wars universe in a way that nothing has ever fit into the Star Wars universe. A Mr. Burl Ives. Yes, the voice of the snowman from the Rudolph Claymation from the 1960s. Now, the film was shot for eight weeks between June and August 1984 with a shooting schedule structured around child labor laws, which I'm guessing at that time was kind of a new technique in Hollywood. So Warwick Davis and Eric Walker were going around with the camera that George Lucas gave them, and they called themselves W&W Productions for Warwick and Walker, which I thought was... It's a big old company here. Big old company. All right, now let's get into my favorite parts of the film. Going back to Burl Ives, he's narrating the film and it almost seems like it's like a nature documentary. In an Ewok village on the moon of Endor, Deej tries to summon two of his sons who went into the woods and have not returned. He fears they may be lost. Deej will use his skin glider to search for his missing sons. Why does he narrate it? Why does he have to narrate anything? Because the only two English-speaking actors besides the parents oh. at the beginning and the end are two children who are not going to very be very good with exposition. I understand. So they are like, okay, so let's bring in someone that has a comforting voice at least. So the Ewoks' mouths don't move in the film, which, it, you know, it's because, you know, early 80s costumes. So any shot of their faces that show their mouths saying any, it, like they're in one place. So it's almost like a race of ventriloquists. But I realized that in Return of the Jedi, when there's so much other action happening, it's a lot easier to mask that because there'll be Ewoks in the background. and then. But when it's like a close-up on an Ewok's face and it's making noise and it's just a frozen face and noise. It's actually really terrifying. I'm going to be honest with you, Ray. Every single clip you've shown me, I'm a little frightened by. Yeah. I'm a grown man, Ray, and I'm frightened. Their eyes don't blink either. And, you know, later on in Return of the Jedi, George Lucas, when he would go back and fix up films, all the Ewoks and Return of the Jedi now have blinking eyes, and I think their mouths move, but their eyes blink at least. Can we get Mason Sindel maybe to blink? Yeah, exactly. Before we work on the puppets, can we get the humans to look like they're real? 
Hey friends, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, could you do us a favor? After you listen to today's episode, open up your podcast app and leave us a review, please. The more reviews we get, the more people will discover us, and the more people that discover us, the less lost we'll feel. You're good, buddy. It's okay. Uh, look, nothing has ever been easier to do. Just go ahead and grab a pen real quick. It's okay. We'll wait. Don't worry. Okay. Head on over to your podcast app, click those three dots in the lower right-hand corner, click Go to Show, scroll down till you see ratings and reviews, then leave us some stars and a comment or two so our parents know that it was worth all the tuition that they spent. And if you really love us, head on over to Patreon.com and send us some money, and in return, you will get access to merch, special episodes, bonus content, pictures of me shirtless. Okay, okay, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Search This Was a Thing and help us out. But you know what? You've already helped us out today by listening to us, and we can't tell you how much we appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. So as I'm guessing a cost-saving measure, they didn't make really any fake animals besides the Ewoks, where in Star Wars you'd see, okay, here's this random fake animal and stuff. So... This indoor is populated by goats, llamas or alpacas, mini horses, rabbits, ferrets, chickens, owls, lizards. And in my recollection, the only real life animal I can remember seeing in the original trilogy is like snakes in the planet of Dagobah, the swamp planet of Dagobah, where Luke goes to Yoda to train. And that's the only like real thing I can remember. I will say this, there is a cute, terrifying baby Ewok predating Baby Yoda by over 30 years, so that's cool. The worst line in the film is delivered by Mace, and this is it. I just wish I didn't ever do anything wrong. I just wish I was the best kid there ever was. Can I hear it again, please? I just wish I didn't ever do anything wrong. I just wish I was the best kid there ever was. I like when you do it. Well, yeah, well, I'm also... I'm 13. I'm a year older than Eric. <laughs> so I have a little bit more life experience than fucking Eric Walker. Take a walk while I run, Eric. Eric, walk so you can run. Amen. There is a big, scary monster fight at the end with the Gorax. What is the Gorax? It's very obviously a man in a suit. And you can see the man's eyes in it. So the fact that you can see the man's eyes and there's some emotion in his eyes, but then it cuts to an Ewok with just a blank stare. It's There's just something to it that is a, it's just so special and indicative of 1980s filmmaking. It's a little disconcerting. And I love it. There was a great article from Star Wars Online in 2014 celebrating the 30th anniversary of the film called Caravan of Courage, celebrating 30 years of an Ewok adventure. And it's an interview with Eric Walker, Aubrey Miller, and Warwick Davis. And it gave a lot of interesting behind the scenes and insight. So George Lucas came on board to direct one week of pickup shots. I actually, this is from one of the kids, I actually have the first day reshoot call sheet that lists him as director for which I understood a production assistant got into trouble as it was taken off the second day's call sheet. So the actual comeback into directing by George Lucas was not episode one, but on Caravan of Courage. Aha! Uh-huh. Yep. 
The Ewok Adventure premiered on ABC November 25th, 1984 as ABC's Sunday Night Movie, as I said. Now, some radio stations broadcast a simultaneous audio track to create a stereo experience for viewers. Oh, wow, that's cool. And I thought that was pretty cool. I've never heard of a like a TV production broadcasting on radio at the same time. It received the second highest ratings of that year for an ABC movie. And, I mean, ABC movies were pretty big back then. I wonder what got number one. I know. I couldn't find what it was. In his review for New York Times, John J. O'Connor noted the film's story as being almost aggressively simple and that Mr. Lucas and crew do not come up with anything terribly astonishing. O'Connor recognized most of the interactions as following well-established cinema tropes, the notable ones being Sindel looking like one of those little blonde angels used at the top of a Christmas tree, and Wicked, a performance by then 14-year-old Warwick Davis, whom O'Connor called the cleverest in the lot. So the film did do well enough for a sequel. It was released next year called Ewoks, A Battle of Indoor. I haven't watched it yet. I'm a little nervous, but maybe I'll cover it on season five or something. (laughs) The films were finally released on Disney Plus after push from fans and Eric Walker. Although it is part of the Star Wars universe, these films are unfortunately not considered Star Wars canon. Do you feel like it should be? No, they don't need to. They're only expanded universe. Except... The Gorax. Nope. The Gorax was reintroduced into Star Wars canon in the animated series Star Wars Forces of Destiny. Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker help the Ewoks against the rampaging beast. Who's coming? More Imperials? Guess that's what the traps were for. Pretty fucking scary, huh? I'm uncomfortable. We will discuss after the break if Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure should stay part of canon, or if it's better suited for the expanded universe. And could there ever be anything like this again in Star Wars? Well, we'll talk about it after the break. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Okay, Mr. Lucas, she's finally put to bed. Oh, great. And uh, you were able to feed her dinner? Yes, Mr. Lucas. And you remember to have her brush her teeth? Of course, Mr. Lucas. Were you able to get that load of laundry in? Yes, Mr. Lucas. I even threw in some towels. Oh, great. It's incredible how fluffy you get them. Uh, It's a trick I learned while taking care of my sick mother. It's called Tide. And the car? Were you able to get that uh, transmission whistle fixed? Oh, yes, sir. Of course. I even did a little bit of work myself on the all-terrain vehicle. That thing has been on the fritz for months. Yes, sir. I learned to take care of machines while taking care of my sick mother. Wow, there's really nothing you can't do. Now, would you be able to write a script? I'm developing a new Ewoks film, and I think you might be the right man for the job. Oh, really, Mr. Lucas? I love Ewoks. Chewbacca is my favorite. Well, he's a Wookiee, not an Ewok, but that won't be an issue. Have you ever written before? Yes, Mr. Lucas. I used to write many letters to the local newspaper in the voice of my sick mother asking for donations. Wow, you're pretty good. Want to be my agent, too? <laughs> Only if you have a sick mother. <laughs> Ewoks, Caravan of Courage, coming to ABC this fall. Thank you. This was a sketch. So this film and the sequel, Ewoks, Battle of Endor, will always live on as an odd part of the Star Wars history that was actually produced by George Lucas. So the fact that this is something that George Lucas had a hand in and is officially Star Wars is there's something to that. 
I don't think there could ever really be a full-length live-action film made again from minor non-English-speaking characters in the Star Wars universe. I feel like people's attention spans are much shorter than they were in 84, and I feel like they were probably pretty short back then, but they still got made. For the budget and time spent making the movie, it does feel like part of the Star Wars universe. Since Endor is established as a forest moon and the fact that they could just film in Marin County in the Redwood Forest, I don't know. It just, it, I think it is part of it. Did it need to be two hours? No, or an hour and a half, but I think it could have been a half hour. The kids were annoying, yes. The Ewoks only spoke Ewokese. But it really was fun to see how it's made and the fact that they used, like I said, old school techniques is just it's 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 a comfort it's a weird thing to say comforting but it's like fun to watch stuff like this and especially watching star wars films and seeing how george lucas has touched them up to add new technology to see a star wars film with not any new technology how it was intended to be seen is just kind of cool at least to me let me ask you uh if there's someone out there like myself who has never seen any of these movies mm-hmm. Or, or has very limited knowledge of the movies themselves. Could they watch this as an independent entity and enjoy it? I think you could. I mean, if you knew, if you knew that what what you're getting into, yes. If you watch this as a fantasy movie from the '80s, I mean, you don't really have to know the Ewoks. You could just know them as, oh, look at these furry little creatures that are on this forest planet. You wouldn't have to really know Star Wars necessarily. There's no. Darth Vader, there's no lightsaber. If you if you just establish, oh, this is a fantasy movie in space, then yeah, you could totally watch it on its own. Thank you for that. But I will say, now with it being on Disney+, Plus, I think there's a whole new generation that is going to open their eyes to the Ewoks. Now let me ask you a question. Who gets to say that something like this is part of or not part of the Star Wars universe? When Disney bought Star Wars, they said the only thing, there was so much backstory that they wanted to create their own timeline. Disney wants to create their own timeline. Their own timeline, yeah, because there's so much. I mean, within the expanded universe before Disney bought it, there's tons of retcons. There's tons of stuff that happened to Luke Skywalker after the Death Star blew up. And who who created those? Tons of different novelists. But all with George Lucas's approval? George Lucas gave most of it like, okay, I like that story, or, you know, give ideas and stuff. So Disney just says we're going to pretend this never happened. Not pretend it never happened, but they call it legends. And so it's one of those things where they can still acknowledge, oh yeah, but that's legends. But for Disney to make new movies and new media like and to integrate this into it. Yeah, to integrate. So they, like, they took the Gorax, the creature, and they made their own animated little short on the Ewok planet and then them putting Gorax in is kind of a way to go like, look fans, we do care about you. Like they do... Dave Filoni is the guy who took over Star Wars, and I am obsessed with him. I think he is an amazing guy, but he grew up being a Star Wars nerd and then learned under George Lucas, and George Lucas helped develop the animated series, and now Dave Filoni is running Star Wars. He's running Mandalorian, and he, since he is such a fan and nerd about Star Wars, he will throw in so many different little Easter eggs from Expanded Universe and stuff just for the fans to see. And so, I, I mean, I love that man i think that he is doing so much for star wars because the sequel trilogy that disney put out is not very popular and i think dave filoni is the guy that's going to help bring star wars back to not popularity but like fans are going to start respecting it more again that's incredible now now i'm actually kind of interested to do some more research on what makes 
something Star Wars lore and what makes it a legend and what makes it part of the universe. I find that so fascinating that a company, a conglomerate, can say, this is what's going to be acceptable to us and this is what's not. One of my favorite bad guys, Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn, was introduced in a, a trilogy of books called the Thrawn Trilogy. And he's just a great bad guy. So technically, when Disney bought it, Thrawn wasn't part of the new Disney. But Disney knew how good of a character it was. And they put him in as a bad guy in the Star Wars Rebels animated series. And he's such an est- amazing, established, great bad guy. And there he's now going to be in the live action. So they will take stuff, like I said, from legends and just maybe tweak it a little bit on their own but they're giving the fans what they want this was fascinating ray thank you so much for teaching me today of course ray literally looks like he's just run an eight mile marathon in under two minutes i can finally take this ewok costume off you must be hot in there man it is pretty hot but it's front yeah yeah it's tight but it's good hey you want to play a game yeah yeah heck yeah dog this was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz. Yeah. With Mark Schroeder. Star Wars, am I right? Ray and not Rob? Ray? Star Wars Ewoks. Ray? Star Wars Ewoks. Absolutely. Uh, I think this, the Ewoks were probably considered by many Star Wars fans to be the first major misstep, maybe, of the Star Wars universe. They were the, the pre-Jar uh, Jar. Yeah, but they certainly weren't the last. There have been a lot of missteps. But there actually was a misstep that was a little bit before the Ewoks. And of course, I'm referring to... Holiday special. The Star Wars holiday oh! special. So this is some Star Wars holiday not-so-special trivia. Okay. That uh, is basically going to be a game between Ray and I. And Rob will watch, I think. But if Rob, if you know any, by all means. I know that he will get one probably right. Yeah, I think you're going to surprise yourself, Rob. Are we playing against each other? With each other, always with. Yeah, we're always playing with each other, Rob. Except for the games where you're playing against each other. Yeah, except for the other ones. (laughs) This fan favorite character had his first appearance during an animated segment in the holiday special. You betcha, Boba Fett is correct. Number two, since Christians don't exist in space, this is the name of the fictitious holiday that the characters celebrate in the holiday Life special. Day. Life Day is right. Good job, Rob. In a, in a bizarre bit of world building, the holiday special revealed that this golden girl was the owner of the most Eisley Cantina. Beatrice Arthur. There you go. You are absolutely correct, Woo! Rob Schneider. Ding, 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 Look ding, 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 Put the lightsaber down. Put it down. <laughs> <laughs> Live long and prosper. Very good. Yes, very good. Cutest little Vulcan in the Jedi universe. <laughs> um, this galactically named 70s rock band appeared as the musical act in the special. Jefferson Starship. Rob with the two. This legendary sketch comedian from the late 60s and early 70s plays three different characters in the holiday special. Harvey Corman. You betcha. Harvey Corman is right. This stand-up comedian plays a beleaguered bartender at the Mos Eisley Space Cantina. Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is right. Really? Yeah, he does a little phone bit. I don't remember that. I think it's pr- pretty early at the beginning, I think, of the special. He does a little, little thing. Question seven. The Star Wars holiday special premiered on November 17th, 1978 on this network. ABC? CBS. 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 Oh, yes. damn it. That's right. This legendary special effects man, now deceased designed the Wookiee costumes for the special. Was it Rick Baker? Stan Winston. Stan Winston. Oh. Rick oh. Baker is still with us. Stan Winston fortunately passed away. Uh, this is a bonus question. I don't really have it down, but it was just in my research. Uh, what major uh, tragedy occurred the day after the special debuted on November well, 18th, 1978? Challenger? No, that was 86. Yeah, 78. Was it a plane crash? It was the Jonestown Massacre. It was the next day after oh, the really? debuted. Yeah. This is why I didn't put it in there. I couldn't really form it into a question. 
But the very next day, the big news was the Jonestown Massacre. They don't talk about that when they talk about the holiday special. They certainly don't. I have a story about B. Arthur on the Star Wars special, but should I save it for the holidays? We could tell it again. We repeat ourselves all the time. She was like, I will be on the special, but I want to sing <laughs> Kurt Vile's Pirate Jenny. Oh, God. And they were, like, they were like, once again, B, it's a Christmas special. And if you know Kurt Vile, it's this very dark song about a woman who like kills everybody. Okay. <laughs> and they were like, you can't sing this, B. And so they had to write a song for her that sounded like it was Kurt Vile, like Germanics. So mm. that's why the song is the way it is in the special. That's fun. That's int- I mean, I, you can't really blame. Because you're like, people. why the fuck is she singing this? Yeah, that, none and of that it was makes the sense. reason. They didn't know what it was. They did, but it was the biggest thing in the world. They also couldn't afford like full Wookiee costumes, and so they all like you see them wearing like red choir robes because they could just afford like the heads and the hands. I think you had to see their furry bodies. It was Howard Cosell without a shirt on. <laughs> I think is how they filmed a lot of that. A long, long time ago, on the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> Mark, thanks so much for sharing your Star Wars knowledge Thanks for having us. me. Ray, thank you, because like I said, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, so that you have taught me so much today. And still, not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> and, and still not <laughs> yeah, a Star Wars yeah. fan. Learned a lot. Learned a lot, and uh, I know why I've been avoiding it now, so thank you for validating that. Uh, f- go for go, go Force with you. Uh, movies overrated it is. Great Frank Oz. Oh no, that was Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> Shit, I gotta work on my impressions. <laughs> yeah, my Jedi and shining arm. <laughs> All right, friends. See you soon. Live long and prosper. I love you. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut-Cut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese. Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show.